Hi, I'm Zakia Elias and this is Representation Matters, a conversation around equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace podcast series by The Equal Group, bringing you stories, insights and learnings around optimising equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Welcome to today's episode where I'm joined by Sarah Pinch, the Managing Director of a reputation management agency called Pinchpoint Communications and Vice Chair of the organisation Max Care. Sarah was the President of the CIPR in 2015 and in 2018 she was listed in the Financial Times and Hero's Top 100 Female Champions which celebrates and supports women in business. Passionate about diversity and inclusion, Sarah is also the chair of the Taylor Bennett Foundation, a diversity charity which supports young BAME people into communication and public relation careers. I had the opportunity to catch up with Sarah to find out more about her experiences and thoughts on some of the diversity issues within the PR and communications industry. Let's take a listen to the conversation, which began with me asking, who is Sarah Pinch? She's mainly tired. (laughs) (laughs) I think... um... I think this lockdown has been really difficult for everybody yeah. and um, I think I'm I'm holding on to the positives which are um, we're I live in Bristol and uh, we we're in one of the hotspots and so um, my husband and I took our Covid tests a couple of days ago and got the results last night that they're negative which is brilliant and my parents live in Devon and they've had their jabs which is absolutely fabulous I'm really pleased about that so I um I'm a communications professional I've worked in the industry for 21 years I spent the first 10 years of my career at the BBC as a journalist and I am very passionate about ethical communications I do a lot of work with boards and uh, senior leaders uh, across all sectors but usually when they're going through uh, some kind of uh, change more often than not not a positive change, uh, sometimes an imposed change. Um, But I also, as you say, I have some additional roles as um, I have two two sort of non-exec positions. And then I chair the Taylor Bennett Foundation, which is one of the greatest joys uh, in in my professional life. Amazing. What a great introduction. And so I can see that you are a very busy woman, Sarah, and it's quite clear that you do have a great breadth of experience in various work sectors. So one of the first things I actually want to ask you today is about your career journey so far. You know, after working as a journalist for the BBC for such a long period of time, um, how and why did you end up going into the public relations and communication sector? So all I ever wanted to do uh, from being nine years old was work for the BBC. And uh, and I was very fortunate to find very early on um, what we would now call a sponsor, um, I don't think that language existed um, when I was in my uh, in my school years, but um, an amazing woman called Fiona Windrum, who was the manager of BBC Radio Devon, and uh, I went and did work experience there when I was uh, when I just finished my GCSEs, and then through the whole of my sixth form, I went in every Tuesday afternoon uh, and got more work experience. So by the time I left school despite the fact that I had a place to read English at Bristol University, I went to work for the BBC, much to parents' chagrin, but, um, and I stayed there for a decade and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I did really well and I was promoted a lot. Um, and then I went for a job and I didn't get it. And I was utterly devastated. Mm. Um, and I was very fortunate to meet a brilliant uh, coach uh, who helped me leave really 
Um, I'd been volunteering for a campaign called Jubilee 2000, which went on to be renamed Drop the Debt and was fronted by Bono, um, which was asking the developed countries to cancel the debt of the developing country 2000. And that charity, um, or that campaign rather, had been founded by Christian Aid, the development charity. And they advertised for a head of public relations. And one of my colleagues at the Beeb uh, had saw the advert and said, I think this is right up your street. Um, so I applied for it and got it. And um, yeah, have been in, in, in communications for 21 years. Oh, wow. And so you've definitely had quite the career journey. And something that you are passionate about in all of your work is diversity and inclusion, um, particularly when it comes to women in leadership roles. Um, And, you know, without a doubt, there is a lack of women in senior roles in business. But I think you are a wonderful role model for many women out there, because not only do you run a business and hold to non-executive positions, but you are also a mother. Um, And so this leads me to ask you then, you know, what would you say are some of the challenges that you've had to face or overcome in your career so far? Thank you. I, I think it's always, um, I just get emotional. I always find it very humbling when, when people say that, um, that I'm a role model because I think, and I'm just doing my job and um, I um, oh, didn't expect to. Um, I, I think the challenges for me have been um, mainly around positioning communications as a strategic management function and not being sidelined. And um, I, you know, I have been exceptionally fortunate in that every job I've had since I left the BBC, I have been the leader. So I have been the most senior comms person in the organisation. And so I haven't had the experience of, you know, being managed in a, in a, poor fashion and being you know asked to do things that are not appropriate and that you are finding really challenging and difficult and and but I have been in the position of setting the culture for teams and that's something I've always taken incredibly seriously and and I've always wanted to bring people into those teams who bring diversity of thought of gender of race of sexuality of backgrounds and really watch them fly. And, you know, one of my great joys in life is seeing some of the people that used to work for me in junior positions. Now, you know, running departments, running organizations. You know, one of my ex colleagues is a very senior journalist at The the Guardian. And um, I'm so proud of him and what he's achieved. And, um, you know, that's, that's wonderful. But in terms of the challenges for me, I think, you know, I have absolutely been mistaken for the secretary in meetings. I had a deputy when I was director of comms at the NHS uh, who actually came and worked with me in the business, Adrian, and we would often go to meetings together and people would think he was in charge. We ended up doing quite a good double act. If if that was happening, Adrian would say, well, you know, obviously I'll I'll have to take that to the director. Then the external person would say, oh, when do you think they might make a decision then? And then he dramatically turned to me and say, well, Sarah, (laughs) what's the decision? (laughs) I can imagine how shocked they were. Yeah, exactly. But I think I think I have been very lucky. I think in the beginning, I was very lucky to work for some phenomenal men and women. And then I started choosing much more carefully where I went and you know my decision 
to cut my pay by 30% and leave the private sector and join the NHS was mainly driven by the uh, boss, the chief executive that I was going to work with. And I admired him and his, um, I suppose his ethics, his the way he worked, his values. Um, but you know, that isn't to say that I haven't, as I say, experienced people thinking that I am there to make the tea yeah, or yeah. indeed colleagues thinking that I will make the tea directors equals of mine because I'm the woman in the room mm -hmm. you know say I'll take the notes no, I'm not yeah you're not going to do that and I think that I that is something that I have learned you know actually is to to not when I say not be the mum I don't mean that all mums make the tea and take yeah. the notes but mm -hmm. you know to kind of not fill those stereotypes even though I really like making people food for tea wouldn't that be nice if we could do that um I think one of the challenges that I have experienced more recently is applying for non-executive positions and being told that I was, you know, I was shortlisted for one. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't make it through to the interview stage. And when I asked for feedback, that headhunter had nothing, nothing, no constructivism at yeah. all. And in the end, I was kind of like, well, what, why haven't I got it? Mm -hmm. Oh, and they said, well, when, when you see who we've appointed, it'll make sense. And, they, and they'd appointed a bloke, sir something, lord something, who was a friend of a friend. And, you know, I think that is unacceptable. And, you know, I was I was very pleased and, and very, you know, I'm very honoured to have been appointed to the Board of Manx Care, which is a brand new organisation that will yeah. oversee health and care on the Isle of Man, which is where my where my husband is from. And, you know, I did ask the question in the interview process. I said, are you looking for a certain type of person? Because I think there's no point in going through all of that if actually, you know, they actually do want to appoint their friends. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm actually so glad that you mentioned that because I think particularly when it comes to women, there's this societal assumption that they are less likely to question and negotiate in the workplace and, you know, more likely to settle for less, which, you know, shouldn't be the case at all. Um, and there's also something else that you mentioned oh, about, you know, acknowledging your own privilege and how lucky you are to not have to choose um, between being a mom or having a career. Because I'm sure, you know, as you all know, there are many women who are in a privileged enough position to, to have that choice. Um, and so, you know, this then brings me on to the topic of women in senior positions that I want to discuss with you. So around three years ago, you actually founded a conference called Spring Forward, which is to support women who want to get into board positions. So if you don't mind telling us then a bit more about the conference and also, you know, from the research, what was identified as the main issues within the workplace that will hold women back from getting into the boardroom? Thank you. So I um, I got to the point. Um, so I guess it, my thinking around the conference probably started in 2015 when I uh, was president of the Chartered Institute, as you mentioned in the introduction. And, you know, I used to stand up in front of lots of people. I was really it was a real honour to be invited to so many events and, you know, celebrations and annual general meetings and all sorts of things. And, you know, I, I, I sort of started pretty much with the same opening line, which was how how honoured I was to be president and how embarrassed I was because there were so few women in leadership mm. positions and also because of the race diversity in our profession which is absolutely outrageous it's mm -hmm. appalling 
and it's getting worse. You know, the, the BAME um, percentage, according to the Chartered Institute of Public Relations, has dropped wow. from 8% to 6%. Well, 8% is pretty shocking. You know, what on earth is going on? So I, I also sort of in my day job, as I said, work a lot with boards, a lot with leaders, and I would often be the only woman in the boardroom. So there would be all their execs and I'd be the only woman coming in to help them with whatever the issue was. And then I would go out of the boardroom and go and meet, you know, the the lead for that department or the head of that division. And there were all these amazing women. What is going on? Why why aren't they crossing over into the boardroom? Mm -hmm. So I have a brilliant market researcher who, who works in the company with me and Janice and I were talking about it and she said, well, we could do some re- research. So we did some research um, and it started to show that that one of the things was not seeing women like you, not seeing women in the boardroom. Exactly what I had experienced was the reality of a lot of women. So I got together a whole bunch of women who are in the boardroom and I asked them all to do me an enormous favour and come and speak uh, at our first conference, which was um, in 20... When, what, I've forgotten what year it is. 2018. 2018. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, the, 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 the keynote speaker is an, is an amazing woman called Karen Boswell, who I'd had the privilege to work alongside at First Group. And, you know, Karen at that time was the um, head of Hitachi Rail Europe. So one of the most senior women in the railway, very male dominated uh, industry and a woman who had not changed who she was, um, was very proud of how she had got to that position. She didn't go to university. You know, she started off as a catering manager um, in the hospitality sector and has, you know, literally worked her way way up. And and then we did some more research and so the things, and we've done some more actually, we did some more in lockdown and we're gonna publish that in time for International Women's Day. But it, you know, I'm still very frustrated and I am becoming more angry about it because there is not a lack of competence and there is not a lack of confidence in women. We have got huge swathes of highly competent and confident women but they are not getting those board positions and you know we've asked some very detailed questions about have you applied for a a position on the exco did you get it how many times did you have to apply and you know women have to apply a lot to get that job Mm -hmm. and you know, there is still this issue of not enough women in the boardroom and there is still an issue of women not having um, the, the, the right kind of mentoring and coaching. And by that, I mean very challenging mentoring and coaching that kind of says you should go for this. Why, why are you not putting yourself forward for this? You know, I was only talking yesterday to a highly competent um, associate director of comms in the public sector. And I said, why don't you apply to be a school governor? She was like, oh, that's a good idea. And I think that's such a brilliant first step onto a board for communicators. And particularly, ironically, particularly if you don't have children, because school governing bodies are stuffed full of parents with a vested interest in the decisions that are made and heads are crying out for independent thought so you know if anyone listening to this 
if one person goes off and applies to be a school governor, I'll be absolutely over the moon. So the conference obviously did not happen last year. I don't think it'll happen this year. But what we do want to do is to create some safe spaces for women who are on boards or have been on boards to tell their stories to women who want to be and to have um, small discussions around how do we do that. And we're just looking at whether we put together a um, pilot mentoring scheme specifically targeting you know challenging women for those roles and help them get ready to do that that's really interesting it sounds like a wonderful initiative to have and of course the fact that there are fewer women in senior positions um definitely contributes to the gender pay gap which you know frustratingly continues to be a huge issue in society um so i'm curious to know sarah what action would you encourage women to take against this wage difference talk to each other talk to your male colleagues those that you trust ask them what they get paid and if it's you know if you're doing the same job and it's different to you you know if they've been there for 10 years and they're doing the same job okay maybe maybe that's okay maybe that's not okay because maybe actually you you have brought a huge amount of experience with you and you might have only been there for two years but actually you've been doing that job somewhere else in a much more complex environment so you know I think ask that I, I can't I can't say that enough, you know, ask, read Mrs. Moneypenny's guide to uh, find out, I can't remember what it's called now, but she's written a brilliant book, Heather McGregor, a great friend of mine, founded the Taylor Bennett Foundation. She's written a really good book about um, women being uh, financially uh, independent. Oh. Her book's full of top tips on how to negotiate and go in and ask the question, you know, and when you get a new job and they say to you, you know, congratulations, it's £45,000. So that's absolutely brilliant. But I wondered whether you might pay me 49. And, you know, just just ask, because if you don't ask, you know, what your mother told you is absolutely true. If you don't ask, you don't get and, you know, and 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 ask for opportunity, ask for uh, being given, you know, that new project and don't let anybody make a decision about you without you you know that's one of the things that came out of our first piece of research was how many women had been overlooked Mm -hmm. for a new project a promotion you know the opportunity to be seconded onto something because someone thought oh you know her dad's just died or she's just had a baby or she's got three kids or we think her husband's been made redundant and actually most of those women were I have come back from maternity leave and I definitely want a new bed. You know, my my dad has just died and I absolutely want to get on to that promotion because I, you know, why wouldn't I? And I think, you know, another brilliant book is um, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders and What Can We Do About It? And it's written by Blake. It's not a male bashing book in any way. But what he says is, you you know, and, he, and it opens with this scenario of a man and a woman. You know, she's running the department. It's an accountancy firm. He's been recently promoted. They work on a project together. They go to present it to the client. She's a reflector. She's a, a thinker. She's somebody who takes time. He's all out, guns blazing. The client's so impressed with him, gives that feedback. He gets further promoted. And she's sitting there going, oh, I did that work. You know, and and the author says, 
if you're a woman and you want to get on, you have to talk about your work. And that is not necessarily, it doesn't come natural to all men either, but it comes more naturally to more men than it does to women. And I, you know, do not think that your work is going to speak for itself because it won't. And, you know, we have to do that thing in our appraisals, in our feedback, where we say, I led that work. That was my idea. Yeah. Reflecting on my own behaviours and attitudes, I can say that is completely true. Women definitely do find it a lot more difficult to talk about themselves in a positive way and, you know, self-promote, which is really unfortunate because, you know, as she said, there is no lack of talented women out there. Um, And also for the two books that you mentioned, I will include them in the description of this podcast for those who are interested. Um, And so from the research that I have done, I've seen that you've campaigned for organisations who want greater gender diversity in boardrooms to implement a brilliant strategy called Rosie's Rule. So if you don't mind telling us a bit more about this strategy for those who aren't aware of what it is. Yeah, a pleasure. Um, And actually, we've asked some questions about that in the new research that will come out uh, next month. But um, so I first came across something called Rooney's Rule about um, probably about six or seven years ago. And um, basically the National Football League in the States, so American American Mm -hmm. football, um, had a number of very successful uh, black coaches. And in one season, uh, two of them got sacked and one of them had lost a series of games and one of them having never lost a series of games before and one of them had lost one game but had never lost a game before and uh, the owners of the of the American football team sacked them and there was a very um, insightful chap called Mr Rooney uh, not Wayne uh, Mr Rooney on on the board of the NFL who said we need to be really careful because we've just lost two of our black coaches. And if we don't do something positive, we are running the risk of having only white coaches. And so they instigated something called Rooney's Rule and Rosie's Rule is based on that. So it basically says you should interview, in the case of Rosie's Rule, a competent and qualified woman for every senior position that you have. And that's what Rooney's Rule is. It's you interview a competent and qualified black coach. So it's not favoritism, it's not lowering of standards, but it's saying if you have a shortlist that is all male for your director of finance or your chief operating mm-hmm. officer, you need to go back and you need to find a competent and qualified woman to interview. And if that woman does not get that job, then you need to put in place a whole series of support for them so that they get the next one. And if they don't get the next one, then what we say is that organisation should ask itself some very difficult questions. That woman is competent and qualified. So why has she not got the job? Because she can do the job. Is it because she doesn't fit in? Because that is utterly unacceptable feedback. And, you know, my experience at the Bennett Foundation just makes me even more passionate about that because it's hard for women. It's really hard for women from the BAME community, much harder. Yeah, I'm glad you've just mentioned that because I do want to talk about the issue of race um, within the communications and PR sector. So you are the chair of the Taylor Bennett Foundation, which does help support young BAME people pursue careers um, in that sector. Could you tell us a bit more about your role and how exactly the um, charity does support these BAME people? 
So the Taylor Bennett Foundation has been going for about 13 years. Um, we, we do three main things. So we run flagship training programs, which um, run for eight weeks and we take graduates onto those programmes that they're massively oversubscribed. Yeah. And in fact, only yesterday uh, I was with the board and we were setting some incredibly exciting but challenging objectives in terms of growing those. Um, so we take people through as an eight week programme and it's a series sponsored by uh, some of the big London agencies, Brunswick, Finsbury and um, there are a series of masterclasses, project work, um, teaching um, and visits. And I'm absolutely delighted to say that we've been able to do that virtually um, throughout the whole of last year. And those young people are then basically headhunted um, to go and work either in that sponsoring agency or in other organisations. And um, 80, I think it's 83% of our graduates are still working in public wow. relations and communications. So it's a very successful programme. We also run a mentoring programme. So perhaps some of those young people who applied onto the flagship programme didn't make it through. And so we support them through mentoring in the hope that they'll uh, be able to find mm -hmm. a, a, a job. And we also run something called Summer Stars, which is a programme in the summer. And that's open to graduates and people who've recently started in the industry, uh, or indeed we have taken some undergraduates as well. And again, that's a kind of um, intensive period of, of lectures and workshops. And then the all of the young people are sponsored by an agency or an in-house team, and then they go and do an internship. And we, we pay all of our young people the London living wage. And when we needed to, although we don't at the moment, but when we needed to, we also gave them a travel allowance uh, so they could come into London from wherever it was they were living. That sounds absolutely amazing. And, you know, as a young Bain person myself, it's really nice to know that there is something like this available out there to not only support, but help raise awareness about the barriers that young Black, Asian and ethnic minorities face when it comes to entering the world of work. Um, and so we are nearing the end of the podcast now, but before coming to a close, I do have two final questions for you, Sarah. The first is, what is the best advice that you have been given throughout your career? And then secondly, what message would you like to give to women in particular who are thinking about pursuing a leadership position in the PR and communication sector? I think, I think there are two things that I have really valued in terms of advice. Um, which was when um, my now husband, my then boyfriend and I were thinking about getting married and my best friend said to me, is he going to support you, Sarah? And that is something that I have become much more confident in saying to groups of women, young women that I meet, is choose your partner wisely because you do not want to be in a relationship that is a competition. And you don't want to be in a relationship where if, if you want to be a leader, you don't want to be in a relationship where your partner thinks that their career is more important than yours. So I think choose your partner wisely. And I think, you know, it's not it's not radical advice, but if it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. And walking away from a job might be the best thing that you've ever done. I did it once leaving without another job to go to. Um, and I, I really couldn't 
afford to do that. You know, mm-hmm. I had a mortgage to pay. I was living by myself. My parents are not wealthy. It was a very high risk strategy. Yeah. I'd worked out I could probably be all right for about three months and then I'd literally have to start like selling my car and digging into my yeah. very small savings account uh, at the time. Um, but, you know, the that job had not had started not to feel right. Mm-hmm. And it was absolutely the right thing for me to to leave. Um, the advice I would give to women who want to get leadership positions is tell someone that's what you want to do. Start saying to your boss, to your friends, to your colleagues, to your network. I, I, I am really ambitious to become, you know, a director, the managing director, the chief exec. I really want to move from being a communications officer to a manager. And I, you know, I'm quite keen to do that in the next two years. And this is what I'm going to do. How can you help me? And I have never, ever, ever in my whole career, I'm 48, (laughs) ever asked someone for help and they've said no, never. Someone has said, I'm sorry, Sarah, I don't have time to meet you for lunch, but I could meet you for coffee. Or someone has said, can't meet you for coffee, but I've got 10 minutes on my commute home and I'll not that anyone commutes home but I'll give you a call or now you know what's been you know what's been brilliant there's been nothing brilliant about this pandemic but one of the opportunities I think we have is to connect people more easily and you know I've had zoom and teams calls all around the world uh, and that's been that's been wonderful Um, so I think you know take all your courage in both hands and start saying that is what I want to do next you know can you help how can you help and this is what I'm going to do to get ready. Thank you for that wonderful advice and for actually highlighting the importance of making sure that a person's ethics and beliefs really align with an organization's values because I think that is a huge factor that everyone needs to take into consideration when they're deciding if they should you know work or even stay working at an organization. So um, on that note, then, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Sarah. I appreciate you taking the time out to share some of your experiences and knowledge with us today. I've really enjoyed our conversation, and I'm sure listeners will have a lot to take away from today's fascinating discussion. So once again, thank you so much, and I wish you all the best for the future. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening today. Wherever you're tuning in from, we'd love to hear from you. What were your learnings from today's conversation? Is there anything you'd like to add? Let us know using the hashtag TEGpodcast on Twitter, or you can reach out to us anytime via contact at theequalgroup.com. And in the meantime, head on over to our website, theequalgroup.com, for more insights and articles around equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Why not join our mailing list to be the first to get updates on all the latest EDI news as well as our free monthly EDI training webinars. And finally, to stay tuned for more podcast interviews coming up soon, make sure you are following us at The Equal Group on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. That's it for today's episode. Until next time, everyone.